Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. And we are rolling and rolling through life and life according to Flint again this week. And today's guest, he is a Major League Baseball three-time All-Star, 1984. Ooh, 1984. Cy Young Award winner. I'll try to name the teams. Dodgers, Indian, Cubs, Orioles, Cardinals. I don't think I missed any now. I'm going to call him a lead baseball analyst on ESPN. I just made that up. He is, it's the Red Baron himself. Former Major League pitcher, Mr. Rick Sutcliffe. How are you, Sut? Good to see you, man. But it is great to be seen by you and and with you. Um, and if you could, let, let's just not use dates anymore, okay? Any years or we let's just let yeah, Cy Young Award winner. Let's just let's leave it at that. I'll just okay. It's sort of like being president. Once you win the Cy Young Award, you're always that's it. You never say yeah. former. Yeah, nothing. It's like yeah, it's right back here somewhere. I don't know where it's somewhere. You know that it, that's like being a rodeo queen. Once you're a queen, you're never an old queen. You're just a queen. So same thing. If that, if that works for you, uh, ESPN. Now, what do we, how's this all going to work this year? Uh, baseball. I, I'm in a similar situation in, in my industry, in the professional bull riders, we're doing stuff. We're starting to let people in kind of 50% capacity, depending on the market, man, is this going to work for us? Is baseball going to be okay through this? That's, that's such a great question. And, um, you know, with this virus thing, I, I really don't think anybody has that answer right now. Um, obviously, uh, in rodeo and the PBR and baseball, we're, we're all hopeful. Um, there's some things going on that uh, make you think that it's, it's going to happen and it'll continue uh, with what's going on over in Korea and Japan. They've been playing there for a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a what a shock. Um, as you know, um, I've been with the Chicago Cubs uh, since Theo Epstein took over. I've been a, a guest instructor with them in spring training. And uh, my first year with, with them doing this role was 2012. Um, on the 13th of March this year, uh, I'm driving to the ballpark. I'd been there for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, I checked emails, Flint, and uh, they said, go home. <laughs> it, it, it's over. I literally went back to my hotel room. I, I packed up the little stuff that I had. Uh, drove the rental car to San Diego where my wife and daughter and grandkids were. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, we're, we're still here. It was a long two weeks, wasn't it? <laughs> I know they sent us home, said, listen, it looks like, you know, two to four weeks and we'll be back to flatten everything out. So it's been a long two to four weeks. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, so it, it, almost depressing. We're in the entertainment business. This, this is what... What worries me, it worries everyone. Uh, Rodeo, bull riding, uh, baseball, basketball, we're heading into football season, getting close. It is a a competition, but to the rest of the world, I think we're all in the entertainment business. So when you remove that crowd, a huge part of what we do, I'll say we, is taken away. So some of the value of the game and some of the excitement of the game, obviously, just isn't there. I, I totally agree with you. And 
Flynn, as I think back, what was it about a month ago when they started televising and, and playing live golf mm -hmm. and just how exciting it was to watch something where we didn't know the outcome. Uh, yes. You know, it wasn't yes. like, you know, the one world series. It wasn't like the, you know, 10 years ago, the all-star game or, or, or an old home run derby where, uh, you know, we had the answers to the test. Um, and I tell you another thing, I, I think of Flynn, as you say that uh, um, you and I, although be a different, we went through um, the same kind of a challenge. Um, I know back in 09, when um, you, you, you had the heart attack yeah. and, uh, yeah. You were in our thoughts and prayers, and and, uh, and and David Allen was keeping us all abreast on how things were going. Scary. Um, you know, right around that same time, I got diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, I went through chemo and radiation at the same time. Um, I had to wear an ileostomy bag. Um, but the, the, the cool part for me was that when it was diagnosed, I, I heard the word treatable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you start getting good news and yeah. how... You're going to be okay. And and I know it, without even asking you, I know what's in your heart. I know how much uh, the PBR and rodeo means to you. Um, the two things that, that, that I, I, I really lived by at that time were one from my agent who told me to set goals. And the other was by Derek Jeter, who told me to stay positive. Mm -hmm. And one of the goal, a lot of the goals that I said, I didn't make. And what my agent, Barry Axelrod said was just, you know what, tomorrow set a different goal. Um, my very first goal was just to walk, open the door at my house, get up off the chair and walk. And, and I wasn't able to do it for a while. But one of the goals that I had was that year in 08 was the last year of the old Yankee stadium. And one of my goals was even with my ileostomy bag and going through the treatments, I, I wanted to broadcast that game. Um, back then I not only worked for ESPN, but I did the all-star game in the world series for MLB international. Uh, my youngest brother was in the, 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 the Marine Corps. He was force recon. Um, this was televised, the international, um, not only all over the world, but it was televised to all of our troops. And Flint, as you know, and as it means to you, it meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And that was a goal that I had. And um, I accomplished that goal uh, with chemo and radiation in my bag. I got to New York. I did that game. Um, you know, having sports and having those goals that you have and staying positive, um, you know, that's what's so tough about what's going on with this virus right now. You, you want to stay positive. You get good news. Um, they open up the restaurants and then, you know, a week later they close them down. Yeah. The, the goals, the goals, we may have goals, but they're not in our control. You, you and I, I think are alike anybody in any kind of sports field or entertainment business, we like to be in control <laughs> of our goals. When they, when we're not in control of it, it drives us crazy. And that's exactly, I kind of knew where you were going. I could feel, yeah, we need to set goals, but we can't set any damn goals because we can't control it. So uh, I get that. You, uh, yeah. I'm so hard at that because... <laughs> You know, here I was 60 feet, six inches away, throwing 95 miles an hour to a guy with, you know, a piece of wood hitting it back at 110. There's nothing safe about that. And, <laughs> and I particularly laugh at you thinking down in that Coors can that you thought you were safe there. I, I saw you get tossed around many times. Like, we didn't know if, if, if you were coming out. We didn't know if half of you were coming out. Uh, but you're exactly right. I, I mean... That, that entertainment dollar that 
we're welcome for. Um, it's out there, and I think everybody wants to get back and get a piece of that. And I, I know in, in every sport, um, every fan just can't wait to get back to the ballpark. Yeah, you have a you have a game coming up, Cubs White Sox ESPN. That's your first game. That's your first game back, or or as we watch this, it was your first game back. However, we want to put it. There is a. I recently had my first game back in the arena, half capacity crowd. It's when you sit out this long. That was the longest I'd been out of the arena for twenty five years, probably in a stretch. There's a little. I I would anticipate you. There's going to be a little different excitement than just the normal game for you. I, I I mean that's so well put because I'll be honest with you. Um, I haven't done a game in a long time and just doing this with you and, I, and <laughs> we go back to years. My palms are sweating right now. It's like, this is like, it was the, the first year that I started broadcasting. Um, this is going to be my 24th year. I, I kind of know um, how it's supposed to go, but this is all going to be different because if, if I could show you around my house, there's like, there's, there's three crates and there's like eight boxes of gear that ESPN has sent where they want me to either set it up here or set it up down in one of the bedrooms as a studio, because, you know, a, 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 you mentioned it and how blessed you are. And I know how you felt when you walked into that arena and you got back um, into the event, we're going to, we're going to be doing games from our home. Um, mm. A big part of the reason that, that I got back into, into broadcasting or, or, or started a second career was I wanted to be back at the ballpark. Right. I wanted to, come in the day before and be around the guys. I wanted to, you know, lean on the batting cage and hear the sound of the bat and, you know, uh, the stories and, you know, the, the you know, the, how you, you, you kind of rag on each other, you know, the, the give and take back and forth. Um, you miss that a lot. And I just don't know. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what it's going to be like doing a game from home uh, without a crowd. It's obviously going to be completely different, but, um, as it was in, in 1996, when um, I'd been out of baseball for a year, I'd retired. Flint, I wanted to give something back to the game, so mm -hmm. I decided to be a rookie league pitching coach. Went up to Idaho Falls, Idaho, had a great time. Um, just kind of got back into the game, trying to give something back. In a, in, a, in a lot of ways, I hope that, you know, by broadcasting and bringing live baseball to the fans, regardless of whether we're there or not, I, I hope. I hope it helps. You know, we're sitting, I'm sitting up here, home of the, the Pioneer League, up here, Billings, Montana. I grew up by Great Falls, Montana. I remember as a kid wearing our Little League uniforms, going watching the Great Falls Giants, and then it was the Great Falls Dodgers, and now whatever they are. But what, uh, it breaks, there are a lot of very small communities. I know Billings, Montana is the biggest city in Montana, but it is a small community. People are worried up here about the minor league baseball situation that we're going to lose. I really feel like small towns in places like Montana, that's our connection to major league baseball. I mean, we track those guys when they leave great falls or leave when Helena and Butte had a team, they leave billings. There's a lot of concern up here about minor league baseball. What a, I'm sure you had a great minor league experience, but what's that looking like? There's, there's gotta be some concerns for that. Doesn't there? That's a great question. And I think that um, the, the worst part for me about what's going on in baseball is, is, uh, you know, there's, there's these minor league coaches that have been in the game for 30 years 
It's all they've ever known. They, 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 they never made any money. It, it's just a part of their life. And now it's been taken away from them. And uh, the, the great question is, you know, if it does come back, minor league baseball, how many teams are going to be eliminated? What, what, what's going to happen? Um, I had a great conversation. Um, I got to play golf with, with, with a buddy of, of ours, uh, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to play golf with him on Sunday. And he was asking about that because the very first game that I was a rookie league pitching coach for Idaho Falls, Idaho, we drove up to Butte, Montana. And I'm down in the bullpen watching my pitcher warm up. And the announcer says, and going out the first pitch is the owner of the Butte, Montana Copper Kings. The Copper Kings. Bill Murray. <laughs> I turn around and I go, because, you know, I'd gotten to be good friends with him when I was with the Cubs, yeah. but I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I didn't know what was going on. And, of course, as Bill does, he, you know, the first pitch, he throws it over the press box. I mean, that's kind of his, <laughs> kind of his stick and everything. And he comes down to the bullpen. I yell at him, hey, he comes down there. He goes, hey. I'll bet you $1,000 that we beat you. Well, what he didn't know was that the pitcher that I had starting, um, he was only going to start one game. They wanted me to get off to a good start. After that game, he was going to go to double-A or triple-A because mm-hmm. he was so good. Well, of course, he he stuck it to him. He threw seven shutout innings. We, we beat him. We beat him. <laughs> I finally – I finally, on Sunday at the end of that, of course I collected that $1,000. I gave it back to Bill because I um, I had to come clean with him on what had happened. It was kind of a setup all along. And what is it, 30 years later, he finally finds out about it. So who was – did the pitcher go on to do anything great? Did that pit, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. His name, um, Kevin Walker, oh. left-handed pitcher, threw hard. And what's funny was doing some research on the Boston Red Sox for – an ESPN game coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, he is their bullpen coach. He's the no assistant kid. coach. I think he probably got 10 years in the big leagues. And oh. and the funny part was Bill didn't even remember his name. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I could – it just made for a good laugh yeah. and obviously a lot of fun. And, and nice job, Pete Rose, betting on your own team. Great job. <laughs> There's a statute of limitations. You're okay. <laughs> I couldn't think of what the words were for that, but I'm hoping that thing is fast. There's also another thing that my last my last start in the big leagues, um, um, when I when 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 we went on strike at the end of '94, I had a 10 game suspension waiting on me. Um, there was a guy for uh, the Colorado Rockies I didn't care for a whole lot, and I, I knew my career was over because it took me four times to hit him. But when I finally hit him, um, they kicked me out of the game, of course, and I had a 10 game suspension. Well, years later, when a couple of teams wanted me to interview to possibly be their manager, as you know, they do a background check on you. And, you know, that's <laughs> that scares me to death right there. You know, with the, they're going to find a guy named David Allen. They're going to go, whoa, wait a <laughs> there's no way we're hiring this guy. But anyway, I'm hoping that statute of limitations is passed on that. Maybe sometimes I can get back into the game, maybe in uniform. Uh, where did you play? Where was your minor league baseball experience? Anywhere cool? Uh, no, um, no. Uh, I'm 17 years old. Um, I, I, uh, I'm the number one pick by the Dodgers in 1974 out of high school. Um, I get on a plane. I fly to Bellingham, Washington. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds like a great city, but it's like a, a logging town. Mm-hmm. And every morning when you wake up, you, you know, anybody that's been to one of those cities, they know what the, what the smell is like. Um, I walked into my room and it was like 11 o'clock at night 
And there's a guy in my room, and and my roommate, his name was Pedro Guerrero, who <laughs> oh. played many, many years. Yeah. He was uh, a co-MVP of the World Series for the Dodgers in 81. Well, anyway, I say hello to him, and he didn't say a word. He didn't say anything back to me. And that night, as I fell asleep, Flint, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I slept with my toothbrush in my hand. It was the hardest thing I had in my travel bag. I didn't know what was going to happen. This guy won't talk to me. So I'm 17 years old. We get to the ballpark the next day, and there's like 15 of us in one group, and then over here is like eight other guys. And our manager tells us that, hey, those guys over there, obviously you guys know now, um, they don't speak English. <laughs> I was from Independence, Missouri. Everybody speaks English. Like, like, I mean, I, I went from being scared to scared to death to what in the world am I doing here? This isn't going to work to, uh, yeah, it ended up being a lot of fun. And Pedro Guerrero to this day uh, has been one of my best friends. Well, I mean, when a guy comes at you with a toothbrush, you become fast friends. You're a badass, Sutcliffe. You're, that's a, you're a bad man defending yourself with a toothbrush. Was uh, Speaking of real quick, being the first round, uh, the first pick, baseball obviously your best sport what what else did you play everything back then yeah, yeah. kids and that's what we did we played everything back then. yes yeah yeah i know you, you played football and track mm -hmm. and did a lot of those things that led to your career as, as the man in the can um yeah um I, I i my plan was to go to university of missouri and play football uh, uh. i thought football was my best sport mm -hmm. and what really uh, um, breaks my heart is these kids that lost th their senior year in high school this year, Yeah, um, their senior year in college. Flint, if you would have asked me the last day in high school, my senior year, what are you going to do? I would have told you I'm going to play football at Missouri. Well, if that don't work, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to go to the University of Kansas and play basketball. Baseball wasn't even really a thought. Huh. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Dodgers draft me in the first round. Um, I remember what happened, like the 24 hours leading up to that. Uh, one of my jobs was washing dishes at a barbecue restaurant. I did that till like midnight at night. I got up at six o'clock. I went over to my second job, which was cleaning dog kennels. Um, I'm out there cleaning all of that. And when I got done, this was a day that I was supposed to mow. This lady owned like 30 acres and I'm out there mowing around the house with a push mower. And I'm just kind of thinking that, man, you know, life's not really going the way I'd hoped for, you know? I mean, I'm like, what, what in the world's happening here? And the lady comes out of the house. She yells, she said, Hey, your grandma's on the phone. She needs to talk to you. Well, when I went in there, I, you know, I'm thinking, how could my life get any worse? My grandma goes, you've been drafted. Well, you know, back in that day, I'm, I'm old enough. You're not. And my first question to my grandma was army Navy. Where, well, where, where's the war? Where's the war? <laughs> where am I going? I had no clue. Um, huh. You know, she said, you've been drafted by the Dodgers. Um, they're sending people to, to meet with you. Um, this is my favorite story about that. I, I was raised by my grandparents. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad took off when we were young. And, um, you know, what I thought was the worst day of my life, we ended up looking back on it, was the best day because uh, my dad didn't care for sports. Uh, my grandpa loved baseball. And he got my brother and sister and I into sports. We did everything we could possibly do. Um, the one rule my grandpa had was that you had to get good grades. If you want to play sports, you got to get good grades. Well, I came home um, one day after my freshman year, and uh, I had a bad report card. 
And we were playing in the, in the league championship the following day. My grandpa didn't let me play. We ended up losing that game. I mean, everybody on the team, a lot of guys to this day are still mad at me because I that I didn't play. And no one is my fault. Fast forward four years to 1974, the Dodgers come to town. They were talking to us. And I had a question. I said, you know, out of everybody in the country, because I, I, I don't know how they even saw me play. Um, I said, why me? And the, the Dodger representative said, that's a great question. He says, um, you know, your fastball and everything kind of, you know, matched a lot of the other people. But what stood out about you was your grade point average. And I said, well, why is that important? And they said, well, you're 17. We're going to send you to the minors. You're going to have to improve. To improve, you got to listen to your coaches. The only scenario that we have, this guy was telling me, was you as a student and your teacher and you as a player and your coach. And I go, well, what if I can't stand math, but I love baseball? They go, we have nothing else to compare that to. So I'm probably not drafted in the first round. Obviously not. If, if that's not the case, if grandpa hadn't told me that I had to get good grades. So this is the funny part. Okay. My grandpa had a first grade education. He was a carpenter. He had retired um, before he had to take on us three kids. The Dodgers said, okay, we're ready to make an offer. Uh, Mr. Year out, Bill year out was his name. Said, um, we're going to offer your, your grandson $40,000. My grandpa kind of sat back in his chair, you know, like he knew what he was doing as an agent. And he goes, okay, he says, what, what, what is that? Is, is that a lifetime deal? Is that, how, is that t- how many years is that for? Well, as you're doing now, Flint, they started laughing. Well, my grandpa was a little German, but I mean, he had a temper. And this made him mad. And all of a sudden, he got up. <laughs> And he opened the door and he told him to leave. And they're like, well, wait, what was the year? No, no. He, and, and finally, he started using some profanity to get him out. Well, Flint, by the time they got to the door, they were at $55,000. Well, Grandpa shuts the door on him and he sits down. And he said, did you hear what that guy said? And I said, yeah. He said, he offered you $40,000 as a signing bonus. He's just going to give it to you. Well, in my mind, I'm going, I heard him say 55 when he hit the door. But Grandpa obviously didn't hear that. But, I mean, Grandpa said, I had the best year I've ever had. I made $5,000 this year. He goes, I can't represent you. We, we got to get some help. Well, $4,000 turned into eighty five. I mean, my grandpa's forget about Scott Boris. My grandpa was the best agent that ever existed. And his name was, his last name was You're Out? You're Out. You're Out. You played baseball. <laughs> Year, as in year in, year out. Yeah, yeah. You played baseball, and your grandpa's last name was Year Out. Yeah, that's good. That may. I mean, this story gets better all the time. So, um, you know, you. Uh, I've discovered when you, when you talk about something like you talk about baseball, you probably. I would guess that in the last years that you've been a commentator, you probably learned more about baseball. You thought you knew about baseball, and I'm guessing talking about it, you've had to learn more about it than you ever thought you could. I mean, I know I'm like that. What if, you know, you, you've, you've played, you've coached a little, you've done, you've commentated forever. What happens, you know, there's a, the manager merry-go-round goes round and round in baseball. What would happen if you got that call? Hey, Sutcliffe, we, you know, we want you to interview for a managerial job in the majors, maybe it's a triple a job. Maybe, yeah. What is your plan there? What would you do? Yeah. I, for me, that, that, um, that window has closed when, mm-hmm. um, 
And it actually closed um, back in 96, 97, when several teams asked me to come interview to manage. Several teams offered me their pitching coach job. Um, as you know, with what we do, we're gone a lot. Yeah. Um, and if I remember right, you, you too, you have a couple of daughters. One of them's named Shelby. Yeah, exactly. Um, our daughter, Shelby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I missed a lot. I, I mean, if I didn't yeah. have, uh, Robin, if I didn't, you know, we've been married 43 years. If I didn't have her to help raise Shelby and do literally 90% of it. Um, yeah, what I did was important. I needed to go make a living, but, um, I missed a lot of that. And the next thing, you know, Shelby, you know, I, I 94, 95, um, I, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't going to leave again. I just wasn't going to do anything full time. The reason that rookie league pitching coach worked out was because it, as you know, it's a short season. Yeah. Uh, it starts around the, 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 the middle latter part of June and it's over um, the end of August. So that worked out perfect. That's the reason we went back for the second year. Um, anything full time just wasn't going to work. And fortunately along the lines, the last thing in the world I thought I would ever do was get into the media. Um, there were a lot of people in the media, as you know, that took some shots at me earlier or whatever. There were a lot of great people, but there were people that I just didn't care to be around. Um, that was the great thing about ESPN. They started pairing me with guys like uh, Chris Berman, yeah. uh, with Ernie Harwell, with, with some of just the nicest people in the world. Uh, I'm with John Shambi, uh, who's like a brother to me, yeah. and we're going to break in Chipper Jones this year. Uh, Chipper is going to be part of our ESPN crew. So um, it just keeps getting better and better. It's fun. If it wasn't fun, um, like you, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Here's a connection that just crossed my mind. My sister's son, my nephew, is the pitching coach at BYU. There you go. Big sick, you know, 6'4", good-looking kid. It only makes sense, right? I mean, you see it. Did you? Did you just compare to me to somebody good looking? <laughs> no, me. <laughs> no, heavens no. Heavens no. So you know, anyway. You know what's crazy about this, and people can't believe it, but as you know, I, I, I pitched for 18 years. And, you know, for all those years, my right arm was my moneymaker. Uh-huh. Um, I've been on TV for 24 years, so I guess... I guess this is kind of my money making. It now. really is. Luckily, you're just in the booth off camera for the most most part. Let, face Why for you radio. Look over your shoulder. Did David <laughs> Allen just throw up? Or pass yeah, out or that's right. <laughs> Quite entertaining. Eighties. Um, you know, I think back when I was uh, late junior high, high school age, and now I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag when my parents listen or see this. I used to similar mow lawns. My dad had rental places around our little town. I grew up in a town of 1700 people and I'd mow the lawns, but my parents would come home from work and eat lunch. And then they'd go back to work in the summer and leave me to do all the work. Well, I'd sneak in the living room and lay down on the couch and watch the Cubs play because all the games were in the afternoon and This created, I felt like as a small town guy, the weirdest thing, it took me years. Chicago to me seemed like a small town. And that was the atmosphere the Cubs created at Wrigley Field with Harry Carey, Steve Stone. Uh, Every day I could go sit on that couch and doze off for a half hour and watch the Cubs play. That, what an atmosphere. It's a very unique team in what they create, especially when all the games were in the afternoon. Uh, you, you said it perfectly. And I mean, years ago when Ernie Banks called it the friendly confines, mm-hmm. um, again, it was perfectly named. Um, 
the years that I was there and all the years that I've been broadcasting, it's so much more than a baseball game. I mean, it's really like an event. Um, you know, before they had the big scoreboard and everything, you'd be you'd be sitting with your friends, you'd be drinking old style, having hot dogs, and all of a sudden the seventh inning stretch would roll around and Harry Carey would get up and sing Take Me Out to the Game. And after you got done singing and hugging and chugging, uh, all of a sudden you'd have to look at the scoreboard like, hey, wh- who's winning this game anyway? Like, <laughs> it, it, it really didn't matter. And, you know, it was interesting. Um, our great friend, uh, Barry Axelrod, my longtime agent, has talked many, many times about, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of players that played longer than I did. They played better than I did. There's people in the Hall of Fame. But he goes, you could – combined all of the people I've represented and he goes collectively um, they didn't have more fun than you did Um, I started out in LA um, with Hollywood Um, you know I got the opportunity there to meet Mark Harmon who has just led to many 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 things and many great times Um, I go to Chicago and there's Harry Carey nicknames me the Red Baron Uh, we're playing nothing but day games Um, the parties at Murphy's Bleacher Bar after the day game were, were epic. They continue to be epic. Uh, Bill Murray, uh, Eddie Vedder, uh, you know, all of the great Cub fans. Um, you became a Cub fan for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, we were the only, unless you wanted to watch a soap opera, we were the only other option. And if you love sports, um, we were there for you. Yeah. Mark Harmon, you got to be friends with Mark Harmon as I, I actually met Mark Harmon at your house in Kansas City. I'm 20. Yeah seven years old and I'm surrounded. I'm at your house looking at your memorabilia with Mark Harmon and Duran Cherry of the Kansas City Chiefs barbecue and shooting hoops too at your place. But Harmon took good care of you in Chicago. If the story I heard was right by uh, you, you offered the fans quite a deal on free tickets and he actually put your actual (laughs) phone number on a billboard, right? And it was your real phone number. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, um, that's correct. Um, but if you uh, pass the baton to me, I, I would like to explain how this all began. Um, yeah, I got to meet Harmon when I was with the Dodgers. They had that Hollywood Stars game. He was great. Uh, it was Mark Harmon that invited us to the NFR in Vegas because he was doing Coors commercials. Oh. And, you know, Pete Coors, a great friend of all of ours, had mm-hmm. the big suite. Uh, we've been going every year since then, as you know. Um, anyway, um, Mark Harmon, I think it was 86 or seven was the sexiest man alive on people. Magazine. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, he, he married Pam Dauber. Um, he's getting married to Pam. My agent Axelrod was best man and Barry didn't know what to do for a bachelor party. And he, when he called me, he said, do you have any ideas? And I said, well, I was with Cubs and the Cubs in spring training. I go, we have an off day on whatever it was. I said, if you guys want to bring him over, um, I said, I'll put on kind of a, you know, uh, an event. We'll, we'll play baseball. Uh, I rented Malibu Grand Prix. We'll play volleyball. We'll play basketball. Um, the Hollywood Stars against the, 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 you know, the Chicago Cubs. Well, all of a sudden, here they come. And the limousines pull up, and there's Les Moonves, the president of CBS. Here's Tom Selleck and all of, all of Harmon's friends. When they get out of their limos, I give them Cub T-shirts and hats, wristbands. I give them gloves. I got Ryan Sandberg and Jody Davis, Keith Gorman, we're all around. I tell him, I said, you guys go out to center field. I hit you some fly balls, uh, and then we'll have a little game. We'll, we'll have some fun. My favorite part, Flynn, is they're running out. Harmon looks to Axelrod, and he says, wow, this is awesome. He goes, what a great guy Rick is. 
I get them all out there to center field right before I hit the first fly ball. I have the ground crew turn on the sprinkler system. <laughs> <laughs> and when you turn it on full blast, you know, it's like a BB gun. It's like that gun behind you there. I mean, so they are all laying on the ground and they crawl off like worms. So that that's kind of how it all began, thinking that, you know, hey, I, I you know, I got him. I got him good on this. Uh, fast forward to 1988, the All-Star game at Wrigley Field. They have a big Torco sign out there down the right field line. Everybody knows about it. It was covered for about a month. We couldn't figure out what was going on. During the seventh inning stretch on Sunday before the Tuesday All-Star game, they never do that. They never, the home team never plays the weekend before the game because we're setting it all up. Well, back then we did. Flint, when they unveiled the, the billboard, it said, Rick Sutcliffe welcomes his friends to Chicago for the All-Star game. For ticket information, call, and yeah, 1988, my home <laughs> phone number. We didn't have cell phones. That's all we had. You think that's bad? It also had my senior high school picture up there. Uh, now, forward to a few years ago when David Letterman retired, uh -huh. Mark Harmon was one of his guests that last week. You can Google it. You can pull it up. He doesn't get on there and talk about NCIS or all the great things he's done. He talked about getting even to me. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> uh, was uh did harry carey really drink as much beer during games as everybody said it's legend you know that harry had a sand a sub sandwich and a beer wash it down with an ice cold budweiser is that all true is that legend or or true totally, no, no, totally totally true and uh you know every now and then he would invite me and some of the other coaches or players out and you could always tell the next day. We people um, called it the Harry Carey flu. Um, yeah, it, it, nobody nobody could run with him and and stay up with him as like he could. Um, the story everybody likes for me to tell, and I actually told the story. We were in Las Vegas, and uh, Harry Carey was being honored and roasted. Jack Buck was the MC. Um, all of the great comedians in Vegas were there. President Reagan sent a video. Uh, Willie Mays, Stan Musial, um, and they all—they had all these writers that wrote jokes for people. Well, none of them really worked for me. I, I'm not a comedian, so I just thought I'd tell a story about Harry and I. He, he was always complaining my hair was too long, and we were in Cincinnati one time. He said, "Come on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay you a haircut." I get my haircut. Harry hops up in the chair, and Flint, the guy's cutting his hair, and he said, "Excuse me, Carrie, but he says, um, your fly is open." And Harry looked down, and sure enough, you know, he'd gotten older and everything. So he zips it up, and he gets down. We're getting ready to head out. And he goes, hold on. He goes, I, I need to get these shoes shined. He stands up in the chair, and the guy's shining his shoes. And the guy said, hey, excuse me, uh, Harry, but he said, your fly is open. And Harry's like going, again? Oh, my goodness. So he zips it up. Flint, we get back to the hotel. And Harry looks into the window of the hotel, and there's this really cute manicurist in there. And Harry says, I've never had a manicure. He said, I think I'll see what it's like. He walks in, he sits down, and the lady's looking at his hand, and she said, sir, you sure have a lot of dead skin there. And Harry goes, is that damn thing open again? <laughs> <laughs> uh... But I'm telling you, Harry Carey's wife, Dutchie, was sitting next to the podium. She falls out of the chair, okay? <laughs> She's laughing so hard. That thing was televised and taped. It was televised live and taped for WGN. If you go back and watch the tape, 
the only thing cut out is the, you know, two and a half minutes of my story. <laughs> and that's probably what Logan will have to cut out of, of our show today. Uh, you know, earlier you were, uh, you were telling the story of yourself. You were out mowing a lawn, cleaning up dog crap the day you learned you got drafted and yeah. your, your whole other plan was to play football at Missouri or basketball at Kansas. There was a few things that, well, there's two things in that story that could be eliminated from that story in today's world, not to get to on a soapbox. You played other sports and you had a summer job. There's not many 17 year old kids right now can tell either of those stories. Talk about mowing lawns for a summer job or playing all the other sports. And when you were telling that story, I was thinking, man, times has changed. That's the seventies. And you were just, you were just a kid playing sports anymore. These kids, it's like, that's their job. Now they don't know how to have a summer job or play another sport. As you say that, Glenn, I think back to my rookie year, um, I had played winter ball leading up to 1979. Uh, I started out in the bullpen. Um, for the Dodgers. And in the middle of May, I get an opportunity to start. They keep me in the rotation all year. You know how these guys in this day and age have a, have a, have a, an inning count, a pitch count and all yeah. that. Yeah. I, I was the number one pick. I'm 21 years old and I threw 242 innings. Um, that's coming from a triple A season in 78 playing winter ball all the way through mm -hmm. going to spring training and playing right on through. Why did I play winter ball? Because I needed a job in the off season. You, you weren't paid enough money in the minor leagues to get by. Um, if you didn't try to collect unemployment, you, ha you had to go to work. And um, the easiest thing for me to do was to go play baseball in the Dominican Republic. So, um, yeah, and, and, and I have a question for you, too. Um, you know, we're talking about how the game has changed and how there's a lot more money involved and mm -hmm. everything. Um, without a doubt, um, the players in this day and age are so much better. They throw harder. They run faster. They hit the ball further. Um, there are so many things that they have access to that we didn't back mm -hmm. then. Uh, in rodeo, how, yeah. how have you seen it change as far as uh, the bull riding? <sighs> Similar. I think uh, in, in what I do with the bull riding, the quality of the – what's affected it a lot is the quality of the animals they're riding has improved. So they don't have a choice. I mean, yeah, money has gone up but they don't have a choice but to grow with the breeding of the livestock. So there are those freaks of nature in our world. Their, their names are J.B. Mooney, Justin McBride, where they don't work out a day in their life and they warm up with a beer and a cigarette and kick everybody's ass. But overall, they do have workout plans, try to take care of themselves. It's a different world of ice bale go in a hotel lounge and hang out with with uh, Ty Murray and Michael Gaffney, and then it was, uh, you know, Justin McBride and Ross Coleman. Now you don't see those guys. It's a different world with with cell phones and that they can take care of themselves. They don't go out much, but it's self-preservation in our sport of how they've had to take care of themselves. And I do think they're better. A lot of people won't say it, but they have to be better because of what they're getting on it, it's a there's a different take to it plus now as you know you're talking about having a job because you didn't get paid as much we got guys riding for 40 grand a weekend and a million dollar bonus at the end of the year they're not riding for 300 bucks so give yourself the best opportunity if that helps you there you go I, 
Thanks for interviewing me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I I know you were there, but I I still say to this day, one of the greatest moments in sports I ever saw was um, at the NFR and Ty Murray was scheduled, excuse me, Tuff Edelman was scheduled to ride Bodacious again Mm -hmm. after what had happened and all of the surgeries and everything. Well, um, somehow a lot of people got tough into signing a waiver to turn him out. And when the owners of Bodacious heard about that, um, as you know, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps on my arms right now. Um, you guys who nobody's better at announcing than you guys are, uh, the energy you bring to a rodeo, all of a sudden the lights at Thomas Macarena went out and they talked about in basketball, there's Michael Jordan and in baseball, they shot down a one shot of Nolan Ryan in baseball. Well, in rodeo, they said, I mean, I, I can already speak. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering what it was like in rodeo. There's only one. And the spotlight went on to the, 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 the shoot where Bodacious was at. Mm-hmm. And they opened the gate. And you remember, we all remember. And the owner of Bodacious walked out and announced that they were retiring. The yeah, pool. Sammy Andrews. And yeah, Sammy Andrews on Bodacious. It was yeah. like, like you led your dog out. I mean, it was as friendly and kind as could yeah. be, with the exception of when you tried to get on. Um, I, I just, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember how bodacious kind of separated from all, a lot of the other bulls that we ever saw there. And, you know, another thing that, that I think of was the first year of the PBR, when the PBR took the great bull riders away, I remember that first couple of years where nobody rode a bull at the NFR. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, I think the PBR had like the top 50 and the number 51 or whatever, they weren't capable of keeping up with those animals. That's why I find it so interesting that you talk about the stock, um, you know, the barebacks and the saddle Bronx and all that on, on, on how the stock has, yeah. has probably improved as much as anything in the sport. Well, they, the bull riders always talk about the, the, the bull owners. Oh, they're breeding programs. They're breeding programs. Well, we have these breeding programs and I was with Ty Murray somewhere and somebody said, you cowboys might have to come up with a little breeding program of your own to keep up with this stock. And he said, ah, oh, hell, we've had one for years. We just don't talk about it. So. <laughs> you got time for a quick tough Edom and Ty Murray story? Of course. Yeah. Well, and I, if it's about tough and Ty, I hope we can put it on here, but yeah, go ahead. You were there. I, 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 I know David Allen was there. It's the event. Uh, down in Fort Worth, the PBR mm-hmm. event. Yeah. And uh, Kix Brooks and I, Brooks and Dunn, we fly in together and we're having lunch and everything and having a couple of beers. And all of a sudden, Kix goes, um, let's do a shot of tequila. I mean, it's like <laughs> four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, like, no. He goes, ah, oh, he goes, you're going to need it. And I'm like, what? what's he talking about? So we get to the event and, you know, we watch the first half of it. And I mean, everybody's going crazy and everything. Well, we're drinking beers. We're sitting on the shoots, as you know. We're kicked, you know, it's Brooks and Dunn. We're, we're there. And he had a bottle of tequila. And, I, I mean, come on. I don't, I, I'm a beer guy. I drink Coors Light. I have forever. <laughs> well, anyway, we've killed about half that bottle of tequila. And I don't remember, Flynn, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember a lot because of what happened there. I don't remember if it was you announcing it or what. But all of a sudden, they go, and now, at halftime, we got a celebrity bull riding event. And they announced a couple of radio guys or whoever they were. I didn't know any of them. But they go to lead it all off, riding the bull. And then, all of a sudden, Cy Young Award. I go, what? Rookie of the year? What? The spotlight hits me. And all of a sudden, Kicks goes, come on, man. You got to go. 
I had just seen the first half of the PBR. I'm not getting – okay, now i got to get on a bull, right? All right, my story is, you know, these were all tame to begin with, and, and I'm not even sure it was big enough to be called a bull, okay, that they put me on. They're trying to take care of me. But the funny part is I go to get on it, you know, and they put that glove on, and, you know, you're supposed to put it in there. It's Ty Murray on, on the shoot getting ready to strap me in. Well, the, the one thing I couldn't do was give him my fingers. I kept pulling my hand back out. He goes, give me that damn, give me, give me those fingers. Give me whatever. <laughs> He's wrapping it up. He's wrapping it around my elbow. He's so mad at me or whatever. Well, finally, Tough Hedeman yells. Tough was out in the arena. He goes, hey, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. The one thing I couldn't do was look at the guy at the shoot. I could not look at him and nod. nod. So, <laughs> finally, Ty yells, open the damn thing. Well, he opens it up, and by then, that's one of my biggest regrets. Flint, I had kind of loosened up on the rope, and as we went up and we come down, I'm sitting, I, I'm in good shape. I'm right there. I'm going, here we go. Well, as you know, when the rope gets loose, I, I mean, I go straight over backwards. I land in a big pile of, of you know what. Um, from one of the coolest moments, easily the most scared I've ever been in my life, to one of my biggest regrets, man. I wish I'd have had that rope just to little bit tighter for maybe another two seconds. I'll give you credit. You sound a lot like a bull rider because you were, uh, man, I was right there. I, man, that first jump, I had a good seat. So you're, hell, you got half of it whooped right there. You sound <laughs> like a bull rider. Man, if only I wouldn't have lost my rope. Yeah, I know. I know all the, all the excuses. So you heard that a few times. Yeah, I've heard a few of them as a matter of fact. Yeah. So well, listen, buddy, appreciate it. It's good to see you again. I don't see you Great enough you. and uh, all the, all the years of running into you and uh, you know, I know that on everything too, bud. Well, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, man. Uh, for, you know what, to, to, to stay in, in, in the business that we love as long as we have, I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing but a blessing from the Lord, man. It is a, a total blessing and uh, man, it's good to see you. You look great. I don't Thanks. know if it's that you look great or that you were, next to David Allen just a few minutes ago. It's, uh, I surround, I have a goal of surrounding myself with people that are uglier than me. And I do that in life, just walking down the street. And <laughs> my last, my last story real quick. My first year with ESPN live, I'm interviewing Mike Piazza. We're good friends. He starts ragging on me. I said, Hey, you better back off. He said, why? I said, cause I broke my rule of thumb. What's your rule? I said, well, I don't normally interview people better looking than me. Flint. He goes, who do you talk to? <laughs> it's a Rick. It's a lonely world. It is a lonely world. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe always, always has been, always will be a Cy Young Award winner and a Rookie of the Year. We won't say when, buddy. Thank. Good to talk to you, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime, anywhere, pal. You got it. You know, when we started this podcast, according to Flint, we promised we were going to step outside of the Western sports world and take on some things and some guests that I am passionate about. And we have done Western sports with Ty Murray, Chancey Williams, who's a great musician and cowboy, but I'm a sports guy. And as a kid, as I mentioned, I was a fan of Rick Sutcliffe watching the Cubs in the middle of the afternoon with Harry Carey and Steve Stone commentating. And when I met him, come to find out, it was through rodeo. So everything I have, no matter what I will, the conclusion I will come to at the end of my career, everything I have and the people I know, the friends I've met, have been through rodeo. And Rick Sutcliffe 
is one of those guys. And the, the thing that has always impressed me and impressed me again in this episode of this podcast are the personal things he remembers about his friends, the things health-wise that he remembered about me, my, my daughter's name. And that is, through the years that we've known Rick Sutcliffe, that's the kind of guy Rick is. And all the stories you hear of him back in his playing days, whatever team he was with, everybody talks about how personable, how affable that he was. But you can see he's got a passion also for, for country music, for rodeo, for PBR. He keeps up with it. And I think it's because, and I've seen it with family in baseball and guys I've known in the baseball world, it's a similar world that they're in and they want to be in our world. So we did step out of the PBR, the country music, the rodeo world, but we can see that when it comes down to it, a good guy's a good guy and Rick Sutcliffe is a good guy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of According to Flint with our friend Rick Sutcliffe. Coming up, we'll tell you soon who's in episode number four, but joining, join us again for a little slice of life, according to Flint. Thanks for joining us, everybody.